chapter fifteen of the commentary by voltaire on an essay on crimes and punishments by cesare beccaria translated by edward duncan ingraham this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by caroline chapter fifteen of the crime of high treason of titus oates and of the death of augustine de thou we call a blow aimed at the government of our country or against the sovereign who represents it high treason it is looked upon as a species of patricide and therefore the guilt of it ought not to be extended by law to offences which do not bear some analogy to that crime for if you consider a theft committed in a public building an act of extortion or even seditious words as high treason you at once lessen the horror which the crime of high treason properly so called ought to inspire in the ideas we form of great crimes there should be nothing arbitrary if a theft committed or an imprecation uttered against a father by a son be considered as patricide you break the bounds of filial love the son in future will never look upon his father but as an infuriated master everything overstrained in laws tends constantly to their destruction in crimes of ordinary occurrence the laws of england are favourable to the accused but in the case of high treason more than unfavourable the ex-jesuit titus oates being judicially examined by the house of commons and having declared upon his oath that he has told the whole truth subsequently accused the secretary of the duke of york afterwards james the second and many other persons of the crime of high treason and his declarations were received with attention he at first swore before the privy council that he had never seen the secretary and afterwards that he had seen him notwithstanding the informalities and contradiction accompanying this statement the secretary was executed this same titus oates and another witness swore that fifty jesuits had conspired to assassinate charles the second and that they had seen the commissions signed by father oliva general of the jesuits for the officers who were to command an army of rebels the testimony of those two men was considered as sufficient to authorize the tearing out of the hearts of several of those they accused and the dashing them afterwards in their faces but seriously speaking ought the testimony of two witnesses to be considered as sufficient to convict any man whom they have a mind to destroy at least one would suppose both ought not to be notorious villains neither ought the facts to which they swear to be beyond the bounds of possibility 
it is perfectly clear that if two of the most respectable magistrates of the kingdom were to accuse any individual of having conspired with the mufti for the purpose of circumcising the whole council of state the parliament the members of the court of exchequer the archbishop and the doctors of sorbonne it would be in vain for those two magistrates to swear that they had seen the letters of the mufti every one would suppose that they were both deranged and that no credit was to be attached to their declaration it was quite as extravagant to suppose that the general of the jesuits was raising an army in england as it would be to suppose that the mufti had sent over for the purpose of attempting to circumcise the court of france but unhappily titus oates was believed that there might remain no species of atrocious folly unthought of by the heart of man the laws of england do not consider persons as involved in the guilt of any conspiracy who may be privy to it and do not inform they consider an informer to be as infamous as the conspirator is guilty in france those who are privy to a conspiracy are liable to the punishment of death if they do not communicate their knowledge louis the eleventh against whom conspiracies were frequent made this terrible law which would never have been thought of by a louis the twelfth or a henry the fourth this law not only obliges a worthy man to turn informer and divulge a crime which by proper advice and firm conduct he might prevent but it exposes him likewise to be punished as a calumniator nothing being more easy than for conspirators to take measures to avoid conviction this was precisely the case of the truly respectable augustine de thou councillor of state and the son of the only good historian of whom france can boast equal to guicciardini in understanding and perhaps superior in point of impartiality a conspiracy was formed rather against cardinal richelieu than against louis the thirteenth the object of the conspirators was not to betray france to an enemy for the principal author of the plot was the king's only brother who certainly did not design to destroy a kingdom to which he was the heir apparent there being between him and the throne no one but a dying brother and two children then in the cradle de thou was culpable neither in the sight of god nor man one of the agents of monsieur the king's only brother of the duc de bouillon sovereign prince of sedan and of the grand equerry de cinq mars had communicated verbally the plan of their conspiracy to de thou who went immediately to cinq mars and did his utmost to dissuade him from the enterprise 
if he then had informed against the conspiracy he would have been destitute of the means of establishing the truth of his allegation he would have been overwhelmed by the denials of the heir apparent of the crown of a sovereign prince and of the king's favourite as well as by the public execration he would have exposed himself to the fate of a vile calumniator the chancellor Seguier even admitted the fact i am endeavouring to establish at the time de thou was confronted with the grand equerry it was during the confrontation that de thou addressing himself to cinq mars in the following words which are reported in a statement of the case said do you not remember sir that not a day passed over our heads that i did not mention that business to you for the purpose of dissuading you from it cinq mars acknowledged that it was true dear thou deserved the thanks of his country rather than death such would have been the decision of the tribunal of human equity at least he deserved not death from cardinal richelieu but humanity was not richelieu's virtue in this particular case surely we may observe something stronger than summum jus summa injuria the sentence of death of this good man declares his crime to have been the having a knowledge of and a participation in the said conspiracies it does not state also because he did not inform hence it would appear that to discover that a crime is about to be committed is to be criminal and that one merits death sometimes for being in possession of eyes and ears the least we can say of such a sentence is that it was not dictated by justice but was the act of a few commissioners the letter of this murderous law was positive but i appeal not only to lawyers but to all mankind to say whether the spirit of the law was not perverted End of chapter 15